Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a Chief Evangelist? That's what we're exploring at ChiefEvangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the founder of Value Inspiration. He's also the author of The Remarkable Effect, a guide for tech entrepreneurs on a mission. And he spent the final year and a half of the 25 plus years he spent at ERP software company Unit 4 as Chief Evangelist. Tan Daba, welcome to Chief Evangelist. It's a pleasure to be there. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, I really appreciate this because that role, um, and that's where we're going to start, by the way, is the most important job of a Chief Evangelist. But, but before I formally ask that to you, um, you know, that role you had was, you know, seven or eight years ago. It started uh, around then. And, and mo a lot of the folks I'm talking with on the show, the roles are much newer. And so uh, I think you have a unique perspective on it. And even though I don't think the word evangelism appears in the remarkable effect, so for those watching, it's right behind me over my shoulder, it, it has so many related themes. So I'm really excited for this conversation. And to kick it off again, Tan, uh, what is the most important job of a chief evangelist? I mean, in very short terms, get people to get be energized to join a journey. Love it. I love the journey piece in particular, and it reminds me of a lot of language that you use throughout mission, movement, uh, et cetera. And so I, I see the journey piece of it, but talk about that word journey. You know, it's, it's not a one-off. It's something that's, uh, it's, it's going from one place to another place that when, when people join, when people yeah, commit to that, they believe it's a better place. Um, and of course, in the technology space, where the evangelism term, yeah, I mean, where I where I got in, connected to it, it is typically about innovation, uh, doing doing things that have not been done before, and getting people to to understand and to uh, get trust in that that better way or different way is a better way. Um, and of course, then there things need to happen in order to get there. Yeah. Um, so you came up in product marketing um, at Unit 4 immediately prior to becoming chief evangelist. You were the global head of product marketing. Yeah. What was going on for you personally and at Unit 4 that led to that transition into a chief evangelist role at that time? Funny. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting story in itself. I mean, beyond before that, I was the VP of product marketing and product management. And in that in that era where I was, where I had that role internationally, uh, the company was IPO'd. Uh, it had a very, uh, it had a very small central base. And my role was always to go out to the 26 countries that we were doing business in to evangelize. Only the role name that I had wasn't evangelist, but I mean, it was, it was kind of put in as part of the whole product marketing, product management uh, angle. So then the company delisted. Uh, became part of private equity. I had to, I mean, the the, the whole management changed, uh, and I had to choose whether either whether to start reporting to the CTO 
in a product management uh, role or to the CMO in a product marketing role. And I chose the latter because I want to have the connection with the marketplace. And he asked me to kind of set up a center of excellence in Utrecht in the Netherlands for product marketing for the group in order to, to grow that central piece to a much bigger thing. And after about being two or three years in, I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is about product marketing, but somehow, some way, I've lost the connection with the marketplace because I'm always here in this Utrecht on the fifth floor. And he said, yeah, I see that. And he said, I mean, I don't, I don't mind, but don't let me do this for another year, you know, because it's not going to make me happy and it's not going to make you happy. And he said, I have another role for you that I still have to fill, which is the role of the chief evangelist and is there for you to have. And I said, okay, grab it with two hands. Then I started to communicate it back to people in the organization. They said, what's new? You've always been there like this. So, um, yeah, without, without, without having the role, the title, um, sort of something that I've been doing for 20 years now. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's been another theme with all the folks I'm talking to. Yeah. It's like I was evangelizing before I knew that that's what some people might call it. Um, what did you, how familiar were you with that language when the CMO introduced you to this idea of like, that is a role they want to hire, mm -hmm. um, and it's yours if you want it. What was your level of familiarity with that title and with its responsibilities? Um, not, yeah, I mean, uh, intuitively a lot, but professionally, I mean, I, I started reading books, what is it, Guy Kawasaki and, uh, and other people started reaching out to peers around the world in, in other software companies. And I mean, I could, maybe I've reached out to five or six, one at SAP and one at, no, uh, it wasn't, that role wasn't um, widely spread. And uh, actually everybody that I connected with was sort of happy that they were, that they also found a peer to just bounce things off. Uh, but that was, yeah, was it 2015 or 16 or so, yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. That's another theme, too, is that people like everyone that I've talked to um, because of a blog post I wrote years ago, a lot of folks have reached out to me the same way that you were reaching out to yep. to other folks to kind of figure out the role and create, create a sense of like, OK, what what is this in its best form? You know, what can I learn from other people, et cetera? And so um, I talk with all those folks and there is a little bit of a loneliness about it because it is such a unique role yeah. at some level. Um, it's a free agency inside the organization, yeah. you know, to work inside and outside. Was that part of your dynamic as well? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. one, it's a one person role, a one person department. And yeah, you have to, well, you have, the role is at the end to be the connector with, between everyone, uh, product management, well, well the product delivery side of it, the R and D side, marketing, sales, man, top management, uh, analysts, uh, yeah, the events. You know, be on stage, spread the word there. I mean, customers, big customers. Because uh, it, was, it was all about, you know, this is where we're going and uh, evangelizing for that. Yeah, talk about um, how I think there's something unique and powerful about product marketing. Um, so feel free to draw on your decision to go product marketing versus product management associated with the dev team and the CTO versus product marketing associated with the CMO. For, and, and I would also just say, feel free to give some definition to product marketing because a lot of folks um, might be familiar with marketing in general, but not product marketing in particular. And I don't know that we've had a product marketer 
on this show yet. And I think this is going to be episode 39. So feel free to define product marketing a little bit and talk about how that set you up for this because you just really hinted at it and touched at it with this evangelist thing. But I think future evangelists could certainly come out of that discipline much more often than my observation has been that they are. Yeah. The, the, the product marketing role at the end uh, in, in a lot of organizations is uh, it's underserved. Um, there's marketing, there's, there's sales, um, there's product managers, but there's no product marketing. Product marketing to me is about that intersection of product marketing and sales. It's, it's, it's living in that, in that area and it's connecting the dots between, okay, what are we building? Who's it for ideally? Um, what, what is the value we are delivering with that, with that product and how can we communicate it in the best possible way? Which is not about how do we do campaigns or uh, how do we go on social and how do we do digital and so on. It's setting the foundation for an organization to do all of these, type, all of these things really, really well. That's my definition of it. Yeah, and um, how did that set you up to essentially be an evangelist before you had the title of evangelist? Is it really in that communication piece that you offered at the end of that explanation? Uh, maybe it's a sort of built in, forced to build in because we were so small at the center. I mean, I always had to go to, no to Norway and to the US and to, to the UK and all the countries around us. And to be that, yeah, that, that's, that's, that, is that spokesperson at user conferences around the world. Um, doing, I mean, from the early 2000s, I was doing analyst relations, briefing analysts, um, yeah, always being that, that person that was going up front and, uh, and communicating about that. And maybe it was, well, I think it has been ingrained in the fact that we were extremely lean at the core and, and no one had the responsibility locally. So they, yeah, it, I was the logical person to, um, to fill that in. Yeah, really good. Let's shift to value inspiration. Um, describe your mission. I think it's really interesting. I, I, I think it's related to startups and scale-ups and their yeah. failure rate and your passion around that. So um, speak to the mission uh, in your own words. Yeah, yeah it's uh, like a passion for failing. Interesting, interesting in, in its own right. Now, when I, when I left Unit 4, um, that's like June, June, July 2016, 17, uh, it was okay. I'm going to do something uh, and I want to do something on my, uh, yeah, for myself. I don't want to work for another large corporate anymore. And what I saw was this yeah, crazy uh, statistics that nine out of 10 startups fail. Uh, sometimes they say 99% out of 100 fail, and it's even worse. Uh, what's even worse, possibly, is that 75% of scale ups seem to fail, and these companies have product market fit. And from my perspective, of course, there's always a risk of companies don't making it, but a lot of the reasons don't have to be. Uh, and I've been living, I've been, I mean, living on the inside of a software company and seeing things that work and seeing the things that don't work. And I've seen things exponentially start to grow when we change the number of things. So that's what I wanted to help, um, yeah, put in place, uh, help these organizations understand what are these foundational pieces that. If you get them right, and they're not too hard, but you have to focus on them, you can build a fantastic business that, that stands out in the marketplace and that 
delivers on your mission. Because a lot of these software companies out there, and that's how my podcast also started, I mean, it's called Tech Entrepreneurs on a Mission for a reason. There's a lot of these software companies out there that, that are built around a big idea that if it's adopted in the world at scale, it will, it will change things fundamentally. And if those companies have a fantastic product, but no one knows about it, or no one cares about it, yeah, what's it worth? And that's what I want to help solve. Really good. And is remarkability one of the key dynamics here? It's Yeah, it's sort of the, uh, the, the magic glue. Um, because it, it, it starts at the end, you know, yeah, when the, the word remarkable, I mean, I got passionate about it while I was working a lot with, uh, uh, with the, yeah, all the, the services from, uh, from Seth Godin, reading his book, by the way, as well. Um, when something is worth making a remark about, you're doing something really right. And you don't, everybody can do that. You don't have to be having, having to have the, the millions or the billions of budgets, well, let's put it the millions of budgets of the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the large companies out there in the world. You can be worth making a remark about in everything you do in a business, in every release you bring out to the marketplace, in every campaign that you release, in the landing page that you create, in the sales conversation you have with a customer. But it's just a mindset. And at the end, what it comes down to is understanding, okay, what makes you remarkable as a business? Who's prepared to pay premium for that? So this is your ideal customer definition and why. And then yeah, start working on that because with those customers, you have the li highest likelihood of creating fans that start to talk about you. And that's where a lot of companies fail from the beginning. They, they go extremely wide because they, they don't want to miss out on any market opportunity. And as a consequence, they get nothing. They get extremely busy if they're lucky, if, if, if at least someone is biting they get, they get busy in the sales cycle, but still win one out of 10 mm. um, uh, at, in that range, where if you do it right, you can, you can fish in a pond, but you can win eight out of 10 and, have a, and, and <laughs> grow faster, have a lot more fun and get those customers to bring you people like them. Yeah, really good. There are two places I want to go, and I guess I'll start with a like a, a quick aside, just on the Seth Godin reference. Uh, I noticed that you did the Alt MBA program, uh, which is where. Share one or two things that are remarkable about Seth Godin's uh, Alt MBA program. I think what the the, the the whole concept of of how they are. I mean, it's at Akimbo uh, are doing this. I mean, I'm not sure even if it's still Akimbo, but it's for at least Alt MBA is still there. Some other of the courses courses are not there. The way they do it at the end is they bring like-minded people together to go on a journey for a particular, uh, for a particular goal uh, for, for a set amount of time. They work on a prompt-based basis. So they, they let you read a prompt, let you answer it, and answer it in public in that group. And then look at what peers have answered on that, so to learn from that, to challenge them, and they do the same for you. And that's where the learning happens. And I, I mean, AltMBA is, is everything on steroids. I've done the marketing seminar. I've done uh, story skills. Uh, I've done the freelancer. I mean, but also I the MBA. And that is, they say at, at the end, it's 30 days and then it's done. But you do 13 projects. And you do that with a team that you're accountable to. Every week, a different team. So four teams in a row. And there's so much going on. 
So that's, yeah, yeah, it's really good. I mean, it makes makes want to look look into it a little bit more. When I saw that uh, as part of your past experience, I I, w- I wanted to rope it in, and you kind of teed it up for me. So wanted to take that quick aside. Thank you. Um, the other place I want to go, you know, I want you to speak to um, the 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 people that are in organizations that are suffering the problem that you de- that you described a minute ago, which is going really wide. We don't want to limit our opportunities. We want to try to speak to a much wider audience. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it brings uh, to mind um, the language of vertical SaaS, this idea of kind of verticalizing at least to get out of the gate and to get some traction and to, to be of very particular value yep. to a much narrower stripe of all of the people you could be serving. Yep. But what are some of the other like ways to narrow down besides you know vertical? Yeah, vertical is one aspect of it, but even vertical is too is far is often too wide. Yeah, totally. I I mean I, I wrote a, a long essay on it. Um just go to the website and that's just type in segmentation and you'll find it. What I'm talking what I'm seeing a lot is that people stop there with the definition of their ideal customer profile at the demographics and firmographics level. So the things that you can actually look up on LinkedIn, how big are they? Where are they? What are they doing? I mean, these you can all, you can almost Google it back, and you get a list of okay, these are the companies that fit that profile. Um, I mean, in that particular essay, I'm I'm describing, I'm connecting that, or uh, how do you say that? I'm, um, yeah, making the connection to a glass of water. So it's, it's, yeah, it's nice, and if you're thirsty, it will help you, <laughs> but it's not really like something that you get excited about. And what I encourage people to do is to build what I call in that essay their um, favorite segmentation cocktail. And that's by throwing ingredients in that once they start mixing, it makes it makes the whole thing come alive in something that your customers recognize and say, yeah, that's me. I love that. And for you, of course, the, yeah, the people that you find. And that's going a lot of level deeper. Uh, it's talking about the, the dynamics. Of your of your customer, and that can be, if you, for example, pick a vertical. It can be that that, uh, that you own that you are well suited for a lot of people in that vertical, but perfectly suited for people in this vertical that are driven by a particular number of dynamics. That can be specific regulations. That can be because they are uh, doing growing by merger and acquisition, organic and inorganic, of course. That can be because of their, their specific customer constraints and customer demands that they have. So there's a lot of dynamics that push a business and therefore they get different requirements. Another thing can be, what do they stand for? Do they stand for quality or speed? Do they stand for reliability or profit? Um, so you can, you can go into so many different ingredients um, and picking the right ones that resonate with your customer that say, yeah, we stand for that, we care about this, we aspire to that, uh, we, have, we, we are open to this, these type of risks and not to these type of risks. These are what I call, yeah, the, your secret ingredients that once you start throwing in, it starts to give a, a very lively picture of your ideal customer. Obviously, you cannot search for that on LinkedIn, but once you start mixing that into the language that you're using while communicating to the, to the market, those people will start nodding and say, yeah, you get me. Yeah, that sounds like the work of um, product marketing 
and perhaps of an evangelist as well, because I think one of the problems, and, and we're going to we're gonna peel into it. I have a bunch of my own notes out of the book. This yeah. is one of the privileges of hosting a podcast. When someone writes a great book, you get to like host them and talk about it. So that's what we'll do. But um, I think one of the problems is that a lot of people, uh, when they decide who who they're going to focus on or whatever, they navel gaze, they make the decision up themselves internally, and it's very infrequently driven in a fundamental way yeah. by conversations with the market in general and being really honest about who we can serve. So uh, the first thing I'm going to do is rip out of um, out of the book. First, the idea that it's a methodology, not just a book. Second, that it's kind of two stories in one. One is the way to differentiate your business, and the other is you uh, on your way uh, on your on a trip uh, with someone um, to a big wave surfing competition. Exactly. Um, and so uh, the three main components in it are uh, uh, to be remarkable, are to be valuable, not just interesting. Um, that there's an urgency, a uh, high priority for your ICP, and that you exceed expectations and delivery. Yeah, that's true. Um, so. To me, I love this blend of valuable um, and urgency is also another form of value in my mind. But then you also layer in this customer experience piece that you're saying the right things and that you're actually delivering on it. And in that way, your customers are more equipped to be your evangelist yeah. because you're engaging the right people in the right way. You're doing the things you're saying you're doing. They're getting some of the results that you're saying they're going to get. Um, and perhaps more. And so I really like that that trio. How did you settle on that trio as three of the core components of uh, remarkability? It's foundational. And it's, it, it starts with chapter one, you know, acknowledge that you cannot please everyone, which is the whole segmentation story I talked about. Um, the moment you go, you stay with the glass and you say, okay, this is where we find our customers. Uh, yes, you will find them. But you have to speak to so many different different in so many different ways you have to almost make it make, make it super generic and therefore you cannot you cannot um, hit the right nerve on the problems that that wake them really up at night that's why where so the moment you start niching down whether that's a vertical or whether that's niching down by 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 worldviews or by behavior and so on that's where you can say okay well it is if you're a customer like this then you have they they are experiencing these unique problems. And that's where things start to happen. So if you are talking about isolating that problem part, the problem needs to be valuable and critical, valuable and urgent, like I said in my, uh, it's, it's a triangle that I'm talking about. The moment it is highly valuable, so it scores a 10 on that scale, but it's not that critical, it's a nice to have. So whatever, you, you can have the most fantastic solution. If it's, if it's a nice to have for a customer, they might buy, but very likely they just push it over because there's other priorities that are going to be more important. So that, that, that aspect of valuable and urgent, high on their agenda, is critical. The moment it's urgent on their agenda but not valuable, they won't invest either. So it's, it's those two things. But the moment you've got valuable and critical in the same, same angle, and let's say that's both score a nine, so you've got 89 points because it becomes a formula. If you then, have, if you then can deliver the same value as your competitor, and your competitor is bigger, better funded, well, better well-known, they'll still go for your competitors. That's where the exceeding expectation comes in. And that's about what makes you remarkable. And that's about how you solve problems versus what functionality you have. Because every solution on the marketplace, I mean, I came from the ERP world. I was competing with Oracle and with SAP and so on. And I was always like, sort of yeah, impressed by them. 
know, how are we going to win against these guys? It's so much bigger. They got so much budget. It was almost unfair until we started positioning and positioning in the right way. And that's where we started to win eight out of 10. And we had competitors like Oracle, for example, qualifying out because they realized, okay, these guys are in, we got nothing to, we got nothing to do there because they're going to win it anyway. And that's where, that's the power of the, of the triangle, highly valuable problem to solve, highly critical problem to solve. And you have an ability to exceed expectations in solving that. So it's not about customer experience type thing. I'm not talking about that, but it's about is the value that you're going to deliver them bigger than they're going to expect. Um, that's where the, the exceeding expect, expectations part comes from. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelist, let's get back to it. Really good. You just, uh, first of all, I, I love that uh, triangulation. And I, um, I'm now embarrassed that I slightly misread that as a one-liner. But it, you, just, you just tightened it up very, very much. Um, and you spoke to two of the key things that come up all the time on this show. One of them is a focus on the problem rather than the product. Yep. And I think that's a trap that a lot of folks fall into. And I know that you um, speak to that and write to that very often. And then the other one um, that you just echoed is this idea of um, outside in where so often by default we go inside out. Again, this idea of like, wh who do we think we're for? And we like take it out to the market and we try to shout at those people exactly. versus this kind of blended outside in where we're being informed uh, in a more realistic way. And that's where probably where we come to understand um, is this valuable? Is this urgent? And can we exceed expectations? Yeah. Exactly. And it's sort of the essence also of chief evangelism. Because the moment you start with that, you know, there's a problem in the market. This is what we see. This is what's, what's currently the, the status of what's being done in order to solve that problem. We think there's a better way. This is how we do it. You take people on a journey, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a critical aspect of it. Yeah. Um, talk to me about, so, so the way that you described like, like innovation, I usually speak to innovation in two different ways. One is solving a known problem in a truly unique way, yeah. not just like a, a better features, like slightly better mousetrap, but like we're actually seeing the problem differently and the current solutions are actually problematic in and of themselves. Like that's an innovation in that category. But the other one that I spent, uh, I was at a company where we were, this was our kind of issue or opportunity or challenge is solving a problem people don't even know that they have. Yeah. Um, have you encountered that either through your podcast or through your direct engagements with companies? And maybe speak to that a little bit too. Uh, it's, yeah, this morning I actually was talking to a company, uh, uh, one IO from, from Finland. Um, they are in the business of integration, you know, integration infrastructure. But the way they go about it has been, yeah, completely different uh, uh, from what's always been around. They, they take the, outs the, the outcome, they created the platform 
to own the outcome and just, just deliver the integration as a service. So people just sign up for it and they don't have to go do a project and go live in in one month or two months or three months. They go live in one day. Um, so that's, they're solving that whole headache thing there. But they, they can only do that by making it super specific. So they niche down just to the ITSM space. So that is, yeah, I mean, the question at the end is, um, yeah, that's more taking something and building, building, well, taking the fundamentally different approach in order to solve the same problem. And of course, there's also plenty of yeah of ideas that that come to the market that we never have heard about before. Um, let me see. I mean, of course, this is only a snapshot in time. I recently talked to a company that uh, that's yeah created a solution during COVID in order to solve this whole new realm of working remote and building almost. Yeah, the, the 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 best of both worlds for organizations that have that reality, and of course, so many organizations had a reality before, uh, of of working remote and in the same office. I mean, Unit Four was a good example of that. We had offices in twenty six countries. So, yeah, ninety percent of the company of the company that's not in headquarters in Utrecht is remote. You know, they happen to work together, but still, you know. Um, so, the, people have never been thinking about it until someone does. Um, yeah, and that is, of course, that's, that's maybe, uh, when you, when you then see it, you cannot unsee it anymore, but still someone needs to come up with, the, with, with, the, with the idea to do it and to kind of address it and, and just nail it. Yeah. I like that language. This, this idea of helping people see something that they didn't see before, like that is, that's fundamental to the work. Okay. I'm going to read you some quotes from your own book Okay, and I'd love for you just to speak to them. Right. Um, these are, these are things that I just think are really relevant to the folks that are listening and watching, uh, this show in particular. So from page 47, if we convince our customers to do this or that, it's because I do the same because I was in their shoes. Um, and to me, this speaks to the idea of, um, empathy, of course, but some level of subject matter expertise. And a lot of the evangelists that I'm talking to on the show are like, I was a practitioner, but now I'm an advocate for other practitioners. So speak to that idea a little bit. Yeah, I mean, empathy is, is underrated. Uh, a lot of, a lot in sales and a lot of, well, maybe even more in marketing. If, if I go to the average website of a software company, what I see is a lot of, okay, uh, things about us, uh, like what you do, uh, maybe a little bit about how you do things, but not why I should care. And the right way to do it is to, yeah, is to go about it and say, okay, we've, We've dealt with, I mean, people can say we are the leader in this space, the leader in that space, but I would say, yes, guys, prove it. Let it come out of your words and, and, and let people feel it. And that comes from, okay, what, what, what are the customers that yeah, you serve so well that they just scream it from, from, yeah, from the rooftop? Um, and what are they going through? What, what are the problems you, they, they solve? Um, why can't this continue? What is, uh, why, why is doing nothing not an option? What was the before and after? How, how did it feel then? And how does it feel right now? It's, it's in, yeah, the moment you start to speak with, with that emotion in it, uh, because, yeah, you have empathy for what they do, and that's why you created the solution in the first place, you get a whole different connection. That's what I talk about yeah. in chapter 10 of my book. So not page 747, but at the end, it's all connected. You're going to hit the right nerve. And without it, no way. I mean, I'm also a big fan of the work from uh, Donald Miller um, from StoryBrand. Um, 
he said, okay, that as well. You cannot create a, 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 a successful business without empathy for, for the people that you serve. If it's only about the money for you or the profit, yeah, good luck. Uh, likely you come a long way. Um, but the moment you just, you, you focus on how you can make a, a meaningful difference to your customers and they start to feel it and realize it and experience it, they'll talk about it and it will come back in buckets that you cannot even forecast for. And it starts with empathy. And that's, I mean, that empathy yeah. can only happen in the right way if you're, if you're niched down far enough. Um, just talking about that earlier topic around segmentation in the cocktail, but it's very often also, who, well, I see I wrote about it this morning. Who are you trying to repel? Because a lot of companies say, this is who we're for, but they haven't got clear to, in, if there's any company within exactly that framework coming to us, when are we going to say no to them? Um, because those companies aren't crazy. They are not stupid. They are, they just want something different. And you're talking with your empathy about certain problems. They don't even feel it, get it because they're, they want, yeah, they're just differently organized. And that's what I see a lot, you know, companies from the outside being exactly the same, a thousand people in this vertical, in that region and so on, same, the same type of services, radically different how they work on the inside. One is top down, one is bottom up. Um, one wants uh, long-term customer, uh, customer relations, the other wants uh, short-term profit, you know? It, it, it starts there. Yeah, at some level, you're describing transactional versus relational. And certainly, if we're going to build a movement or go on a mission, it's very pro-human. So now I'm going to give you a quote from uh, Ryan Falkenberg, uh, CEO of Cleva, yeah. uh, or Clever. Clever. From, um, from your own podcast. So you, did, By the way, I don't know that we're going to have time in this conversation for it, but I just want to call out this idea of taking your own podcast and using it to inform um, the book, really well done. So there were a number of quotes that I loved from people that you were in conversation yeah, exactly. with. So, so this one comes from page 109. Human beings should become the way I differentiate. That's going to be an interesting change for organizations. Many have tried to mitigate human involvement because it adds risk to their formula. I see a future where human beings are becoming an opportunity to fundamentally differentiate. When I hear differentiation in this context, I certainly hear remarkability. Yeah. You know, we we talk about things that are different or that stand out, but talk about this kind of pro-human dynamic uh, further. Are there other elements besides this empathy? Is there something interesting to you about the way humans can emotionally light up other people to act or behave or move in a movement type way what, yeah, to enlist people in a mission. Like, yeah. Yeah, his story is an interesting one in itself. My, my whole podcast started by just being on the hunt for organizations that, that really bring together the, 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 yeah, have a nice blend between technology and, and people. I'm calling it the augmentation type, uh, type scenarios, and that's what Clever is a fantastic example of. Um, it goes down to, okay, people, automating people out of a job, or making them, making or making or helping them to create a fu fundamental, fundamentally better impact and bigger impact. And in this particular use case, you were selling at that point in time to, for example, telco companies, heavily regulated. And in South Africa, the people have have a natural gift to build relations with customers. You know, they're serve they're service oriented. They 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 have empathy and so on. 
but because of the regulations and the risk of failing there, a lot of these people were just frozen in their work. And I mean, another part, I mean, I'm not sure what, uh, what page it is, but he's actually sharing a quote of going to one of their customers and one of their users come to him and say, thanking him for, for bringing that solution and starting to cry because she was afraid of losing her job and uh, being the, the cost winner of the company, that would have been disastrous. But now with the technology component, taking care of the regulation part, whispering in her ear about the things that, you know, to kind of keep track of, she could fully focus on what, what, yeah, what made her in her zone. And I think that is where technology is at its best. And I think we are only scratching the surface on those types of technologies. Um, with the, with the comes of, of AI, uh, there's still too much talk about automating people out of a job. And of course we need to free people up uh, because there's not enough people to do the work in the first place. But the moment you start thinking about how can we bridge the two together to create one plus one equals five, that's fantastic. And well, again, it's an, another example of evangelism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, this is my last one of uh, quoting someone else in your own book. This one's Scott Belsky, Chief Product Officer at Adobe. Um, the theme was uh, product brand fit. This one's from page 72. I think the greatest founders out there recognize that while the science of business is scaling everything that you can via automating and whatever, I love the use of whatever there, the art of business is the things that don't scale. Talk about art and science. Yeah, of course. Um, of course, everything that humans do don't scale. So you can automate it out of the way. The question at the end is when you do that, is the experience still there? And sometimes the magic happens in the blend, whereby you automate enough to, to just get the friction out of the way, but put in the people again to, uh, to create that experience. And of course, a lot of things in technology, particularly in product-led growth, can be done through technology. But yeah, I've, I've also have plenty of customers in my in my own uh, yeah in my own base so to say that have deliberately put the human component in place um, to to make a meaningful difference and one of the customers I, that comes to mind is for example topdesk who are competing with the likes of service now service now is taking that automation route they take the route of of that blend i mean i talk to all of their customers they're raving about it they get that solution, they, they can do anything with the solution, and they, they have a partner um, that's, that's keeping them sharp, helping them get to the next level, uh, and so on. Another one that, that comes to mind is Sales, Sales Monaco. I was so impressed going, for example, to G2 Crowds, and there you see the older reviews about technology and technology and technology. The majority of the quotes that are coming from customers from there was okay. Technology it does the job, and it, it, it helps me to make make uh, yeah to grow an e-commerce in a much much fundamental way. But pay attention to the people there, you know. And I asked some people when I spoke to them on the phone, what would you miss most if you took if it took the solution away? And and he was talking names of people. <laughs> so there's definitely something to that. And sometimes, again, if you're only if you're focused on profit only, you will get rid of that right away but the moment you you see that power of that human touch uh and how that makes a difference for customers customers are prepared to pay premium for that no matter what and that likely will bring you more yeah tease up uh, uh, another quote i have here from page 268 um 
they, they being remarkable companies um, that that are tech entrepreneurs who are on a mission, um, they realize that by crafting a mission around the change they seek to make for their customers, all the rest, the revenue, the profit, will follow. It puts everything in motion. So this idea that like, at some level, the revenue and the profit are trailing indicators that you've done all the other things the right way. Yeah. But so many people use that as the um, as the driving force. But it, but it feels backward to me. Well, the, but these these people very often have a mission that is also an internally driven mission. We want to be a billion dollar company, and of course, then the revenue is the most important thing. But the moment you you did you you deliver your mission and you you carve out your mission, it's something that's that you want well something like a change in the market that you really want to be part of even though you're not delivering it yourself like something that you really want to happen if if that's the foundation and that's what you start uh, creating solutions for creates energy on the inside creates energy on the outside because your customers want to be part of that journey. they want to see that change happen and once you deliver on that promise small bigger 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 like that's where people start talking about it, um, and like I said, it brings you. It brings you, you cannot automate it. You cannot run campaigns against that, um, or be. You cannot be aggressive enough in sales to to uh, yeah outperform on that level because they talk to peers and they say you need to have this point. Go buy it. <laughs> um, so yeah, fans bring they buy more from you they buy more often from you and they bring peers so what else do you want and very often it's around a bigger mission yeah and it sounds like too uh you're probably even if you don't use this language very attuned to something that has come up quite often on the show which is uh customer evangelism and community you're essentially enlisting people in the cause that you are trying to spark yeah. exactly yeah i mean no matter what it is and also i don't want to put mission at this because um, very often it's like, yeah, get a, get a little bit more specific, tangible. Mission doesn't have to be world-changing. You're on a mission to take a friction out of the market that's, that's been holding businesses back for too long um, and name that and make it specific. And people, when they see that, they recognize and say, yeah, it needs to end, it's stupid. So it can be super practical, that mission. Um, yeah. Do you have a formula or a framework um, to help people listening to this conversation be better organized and reframe their situation? Like, for example, in the book, you talk about, you know, a North Star, what's broken in the world. Um, and, and I think that there's a, a there's probably a structure or a formula to help people internally uh, communicate and then externally communicate kind of what this is, like what what mission are we really on? Um, you know, what drives us, what is broken in the world? Why is that broken? What are the consequences of it being broken for the people that we're trying to serve? Like break that structure down a little bit. Like if someone was like, Hey, we have a lot of good stuff. People seem to be interested in what we're doing, but we're not very good at articulating it. Like what's a framework you would offer them to kind of organize this structure a little bit. Yeah. Narr narrative design comes to mind, um, which is at the end, you know, the, the, What's like? What are you seeing? That's um, that's happening. Um, that's the, the undeniable change. 
but they're talking about that, the undeniable change. And the undeniable change is something that everybody can, can or at least the right people will say, yeah, that's true. You know, uh, more and more people stay less, less long with customers, with, with, with their employers, uh, their job hopping. That's the that's truth. But again, okay, that doesn't have to be a problem. So find something that, that's an undeniable truth, um, change in the marketplace, and then articulate, if we don't solve that, what, what risks remain? Then you bring it down to something that is from a higher level, it gets it down to the lower level. So that's how you can play with that. Um, for example, one of my customers, uh, Share Council, they, um, they want to conquer capital divide. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And they want to make that more equal. So that's a huge problem in the world and nobody owns it. So they've got a solution for that. And the solution, the way to solve it, they, their approach to solving it is by making more and more people co-owner of the company they work for. And that delivers a number of benefits. Now, in order to sell their solution, they have to bring it down to a level whereby a company can say, yeah, okay, now I get it. And this is why it's important to me. Why should I care? And that is about that you, with a, you can create a, 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 a bigger bond with the team. People uh, find belonging because now they're owner. And all of these things, you know, give you a team sort of keep a team of heroes that are standing for something and, and going about it. Until, well, other than I'm not a co-owner of the company, I'm going home at five o'clock and I don't care. You know, something happens in that realm. And that, that's, of course, where the, where the business is are after, uh, they create, they create um, yeah, a, a better future for themselves and for the people that they, uh, that they may co-own. So it's about what's the big change in the market, but, but to have it bring it down to the level where people understand it and say, okay, I care about it and this is something for me as well. And then explain why is it always been this way? What have we always done that we thought was right that appeared to be working then, but not working anymore? And then you bring your solution and you can explain a little bit about why this, yeah, why was it so hard to 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 actually do this? Which is also something that can be down to very basic things. And you say, uh, okay, and this is how we help you um, overcome that. So it's really telling the story of again problem, catalyst, complication, change, how you change things, and then the consequence of that. The five C's of storytelling. Yeah, I love that breakdown. Um, so. Have you seen more evangelists as you, you're interacting with a lot of different companies? The language that you're using is the language that I've been talking with evangelists about for about four or five years now. Are you seeing more evangelists out there, um, either in a formal role or in an informal role? And or do you see an increasing need? Like, do you, do you expect that there'll be more people wearing that title uh, going forward if go-to-market needs to be a lot more the way that you see it, especially for startups and scale-ups? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I do see a little bit more chief evangelists. It's typically at the companies that are at a, at a getting getting to the scale phase. But funny enough, I recently saw a definition. I was like, yeah, you're completely right. It's the CEO, this chief evangelist officer. <laughs> it's the CEO starting, yeah. the founder, the CEO of the company, in that, especially in the early states, is the evangelist. Um, so exchange ex, 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 uh, chief executive officer for chief evangelist officer, you're almost there. Um, 
So whether you give it a name, whether you have that label, yes or no, it doesn't really matter. I mean, companies that doing, they are doing things that are different, that bring new value to the marketplace, have to evangelize. Yeah, definitely. And the um, what typically happens is, you know, you hear the same thing about the CEO, um, you know, finally assigning sales to somebody and stop being the primary seller. And at some point, the 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 CEO, depending on their nature. Um, and their preference may may choose to keep the evangelist role, or they may choose as they're taking yeah. their hats off to take that off, hat off as well. Um, Tom, this has been awesome. I recommend to everyone um, the book that's over my shoulder, The Remarkable Effect. It speaks to a lot of the, th if you like this show, you will like that book, um, especially the structure of it, um, because it's a, it's not just a straightforward business book as so many of them are. And I'm guilty of having written two of them in a pretty straightforward manner myself. So uh, so really well done on that. Before I let you go, Tan, a couple things. Uh, the first is, would you be willing to share with us something that you evangelize in your own personal life? Um, funny enough, I mean, it's the, the truth is really the, the, the theme of the book. Because it's, I mean, it reminds me now that my coach, when I, I, I got a coach when I was starting the, the process of writing a book, she said, is that anything that you're passionate about that you can start to link the concepts of the book to? And I said, well, I'm passionate about surfing. I've always been surfing in my life. First, windsurfing, then stand-up paddling and then like wave surfing and so on. And the thing that I'm really passionate about is the big wave, the big wave side. It really in inspires me. So she said, that's what, that's what the book needs to be about then. And that gave me ins instantly the arc. It gave, well, it's actually, um, for people that are listening to this, I live in Spain. I'm not from Spain, I'm Dutch. But I escaped the, the bad weather, started to live in a place called Gabia, which is a little microclimate, and I happened to be, be indeed be uh, yeah, passionate about big wave surfing. Not to do it myself, because I don't dare, but, you know, fascinated. Once I saw it, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it grabs you. So the book is about me going from Gabia with my car to Valencia, then take the train in Valencia, and then I meet a guy who happens to be a B2B SaaS CEO, um, and the conversation starts, and it unfolds itself, and he happens to go with me to Barcelona, actually be on the same flight to Porto in, in, uh, in Portugal, and then uh, he, uh, he's generally yeah, put, well driving me to my hotel and picking me up in the morning because he has to go to Lisbon, and he actually wants to go to that event as well because it's been a while that it, since he's been in that place. So that's how the story unfolds, and it makes it really light, but big, big, big fan around uh, big wave surfing. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. And then the last thing is, you know, folks have gotten to this point in the conversation. Um, they may want to learn more about you, more about your work, maybe even connect with you. Where would you send people who have made it to this point in this episode? All this way. One hour. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, connect to me on LinkedIn. I uh, don't, don't think there's a lot of Tom Dobbers on, on LinkedIn, so you'll find me easily. Uh, or go to my website, valueinspiration.com. Uh, my book is there for download for free because, like I said, I'm on a mission. It's available in, in paper form as well on Amazon and, and the, big, the, the big retailers out there. But I want to, yeah, I'm, I'm just shipping it for free to, for everybody to get the ideas and to build a remarkable software business. So um, take it from there as well. Awesome. I appreciate your mission. I appreciate your time. Wherever uh, anyone is watching or listening, I will have links to these things immediately adjacent. So it'll be in the episode description. So if you're listening to podcast player, 
It's in the episode description right there. Of course, we write these up at chiefevangelist.com. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, um, you can see the book over my shoulder, but there are also links down below in the description. So, Tan, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for spending this time with me. Thanks for what you do. And good luck on your mission. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on the podcast. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N. B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.